What if you were born with a disease that you always knew would kill you? And then what if all of a sudden you were given a second chance? Well, that's exactly what happened to me. And it's the question that we explore on the new podcast series, Breathless from Snack Labs. Join me, Jeremy Saunders, for a series that explores what it means to live and die, to love and to lose, and what it's like to have your whole life turned upside down and the unexpected challenges that come with a life-saving drug. You can listen to Breathless now, wherever you get your podcasts. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow! Nice! Yeah! What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome back, everybody. Hope you had a beautiful end of your 2023. Kicking off this year, Friday and I had a wonderful conversation with Catherine Hiller, who happened to be born in uh, November of 1946. Uh, And she's an American author and a filmmaker and a noted marijuana lover. And we spoke to Catherine about the cultural shifts in sexual perception over the last 70 decades uh, and in particular, we talked about her desires to connect with others romantically, intimately, even in her 70s. Uh, it was a beautiful conversation, and we hope you enjoy it, and we will see you on the other side. Uh, okay, this, the, I man, I am just, I am absolutely over the moon about <laughs> this conversation that we're about to have. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are sitting down with our new friend, Catherine Hiller, um, who is an American author, uh, a filmmaker, and a noted marijuana lover. Um, and I, we're, you know what, I, I don't, I have no expectations as to where this conversation is going to go. I feel like it's going to go in many different directions. Um, but it, I know for a fact that it's going to tickle me absolutely pink. Uh, Catherine, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to sit down and chat with us. And before we dive into it, um, 
give give us and our listeners a little bit of an introduction into who you are, you know, your background and and what it, you know, what are the things that that are driving you uh lately? Can you see my dog? Yes. <laughs> he always comes in on a Zoom. He does. Happy. All right. I think that you know my mother was a formidable presence in my life and she was a rather bohemian sensual woman. And she was very laissez-faire about sex. I think I'm the only one of my friends that was brought up without any guilt whatsoever. Hmm. Um, she, and I could say this, she she passed away a couple of years ago, but I, I think even if she were alive, she'd be okay if I would say this an unusual thing. She had a lover in France during the years when I lived there with her when I was three or four. Then she came back to America and married a second time. But she never stopped with a French lover. So every couple of years, she'd go over there and they would renew this wonderfully romantic and, and charmed life they had together or charmed intervals, let's just say. And this was a kind of open secret. And I don't know how many people, you know, are raised in this atmosphere of, well, yeah, there's Maurice. She's going off to see Maurice. And it was kind of accepted by everybody. Mm. So. There is that, and I think that was certainly important. I also grew up in such a great time for sexuality because mm. it was after the pill, so there was reliable contraception, and way before AIDS, and even before herpes. So there was a sense of free love. This mm. was the late 60s and the early 70s, and this, this excitement of anything can go. And I, I really thought that this age was meant for me, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I got married quite young, but I had a number of, quote, last affairs before I tied the knot. And um, <laughs> I couldn't help it. Like, oh, wow. So um, yeah, I, I guess I guess for context for people, you were you were born in 1946. Yeah. Um, so you, you have, you know, it's, you have seen so, so, like like culturally, I feel like you have seen so many vast shifts in the way that we approach, view, speak about sexuality and relationships. Um, you know, it, like it's, I, I, been, it's I, been astonishing. Yeah, I mean, I like I'm just thinking about the time in which we have been doing this podcast, which is you know not even a decade, you know, shy of shy of ten years. And even in, in that period of time, things have shifted so, so dramatically. And so I'm always kind of, I'm always kind of struck when, when we get to speak to someone who's been around for, for quite a while and to yeah. think about the, just to think about the, the way that the world has evolved and the yeah. directions in which it's evolved to and from and back and forth. And do, do you feel yeah. like... Sorry, sorry, go ahead. Say, go ahead. You, you, you never think that it's going to go back. When you've gotten more liberated, you yeah. just think this is great and everything's going to get better and better. So it, it has been a real change to me yeah. to see how things have not gotten better and better, and particularly with the abortion issue, which is mm. just the most appalling thing. Well, um, I was gonna I was gonna ask, like, do you see it oh, oh, you know, over the span of time that you've been here on this earth and 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 especially from the vantage point of someone who even in your early years um kind of saw life through this lens of of freedom and and of you know of sensuality um through your upbringing like do you feel like 
the attitudes towards sex and sexuality in society have been on have been on a pendulum or or is it yeah. more so it's been kind of like a uh, chaotic forward, like one step back kind of thing or yeah i mean there's there's that there's like the pendulum of like it goes one way and then it's it's going to swing back to the other the other way or do you think it's more of this chaotic sort of you never really know where it's going to go both. Like, do you see pattern yeah <laughs> okay, okay yeah sure, a little sure. both okay so there was a real swing to caution and fear when age became a big issue and sure. certainly that would put the curb on any kind of sexuality and sexual freedom. Um, you know, when I got divorced, I had no idea what a condom kind of looked like. It wasn't part of my world. And, you know, suddenly everyone was talking about different colors and different flavors and, and that you have to wear them and you have to have barrier protection. Whoa. You know, this was certainly not uh, the world that I had remembered so happily. Um, but while I was raising my children, I did notice I have three wonderful men, but when they were boys and growing up and teenagers, they did seem more fearful uh, of engagement. I'm mm. sure they were. And um, I kind of felt, oh, gee, what a shame. Here was something so lovely. And so it's always drawn people together. And and yet here they are worried or frightened or this or that. And now, of course, with the Me Too movement, which was in many ways overdue, nonetheless, it's brought a huge fear into the world. Mm. And the fear on the male part, I'm quite sure, of being inappropriate, of being a stalker. My mm. latest piece, which is going to appear in Next Avenue soon, which is a PBS public online publication for people over 50 is called the lost art of flirtation mm. because we don't flirt anymore. Mm -hmm. We're too scared, right? We can't. What if she takes it this way? What if she takes it that way? Even to the point of a really innocuous comment in the street, for instance, <laughs> I have to show you these. <laughs> maybe you'll see them, maybe you won't. <laughs> I have these red boots. Okay? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> they're red cowboy boots. And I they're very comfortable, so I wear them a lot. But when I wear them, I always get somebody notices, right? Oh my God, those boots, those red boots. Oh my. And of course, it's a wonderful thing at my age not to be invisible. So great. I've got the boots. But men will not say anything, not unless they know me. Like my dentist says, oh, nice boots. Mm. But the men on the street, they will not. I'm not saying this is, you know, tragic. I'm just saying there's a changeover that men and women used to sort of be fairly loose and free about certain kind of flirtatiousness. And by flirting, I mean something which is like, oh, you're so cute, but we're never going to do it. So mm. that, it, that's mm. implied in flirting. It's not really about picking up and, and, you know, and dating and so on. It's just in another world, wouldn't it be nice? Mm. Uh, well, that's gone. Uh, so and the other thing that is really so deplorable is, um, I think I mentioned it before, is, is the abortion yeah. thing. Yeah. When uh, I was just so thrilled, it seemed so sudden and amazing in 1972 that abortion was now completely legal. But I was kind of worried that it might there might be a backtracking. And I wrote a piece that was published in Penthouse, and it was called The Embryo Patrol. Hmm. And it was about a society in which there was no abortion. On the contrary, the state was watching every single woman was monitoring them. Well, 
I wrote it and I had written a number of pieces for Penthouse. They weren't really sexy pieces. They were more, I don't know, satirical. They were about mm-hmm. society. Um, I forgot about it. And two years ago, or is it only a year and a half ago, when the Dobbs decision was about to come, I got a letter from a stranger saying he had kept that issue of Penthouse for 40 years and I should try to republish this piece because he thought it was so relevant. He always kept it because of the abortion piece. And so I said, wow, okay. And I had written the piece before computers. He had to fax me the piece. I no longer had it. So it was one of those strange things. But I'm very grateful to this. I guess he's a fan. He's a doctor in Cape Cod. I've never met him. Um, But He said I should publish it in Ms. Magazine. And I did. So it's the only piece I think that has ever been published in Penthouse and Ms. But it was about my. (laughs) I love that. I love that. I, yeah, I mean, wow, what a, what a, um, just it, it, again, it's like, it's, it, it, I'm always fascinated by, by that perspective of, of, especially sexuality through, through time. Um, because yeah. it, 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 this is something I feel like we've, we've kind of just, um, kind of just almost like, it's almost like synchronicity where, where we've, we've been covering this, this side of sexuality quite a bit over the last like year, I would say Um, just getting, trying to get like the, trying to get the perspective of like the historical kind of overview of like, what, what have we been, what have we gone through over the last several decades and, and how, you know, by looking at that, how is that going to influence where we go from here? And um, I just love, I just love being able to get these, these types of perspectives. Um, Well, let me tell you, I mean, there have been two huge movements in my lifetime. The women's movement has just been extraordinary yeah. with you know almost parity in various legislatures. A third of the representatives may be women. This was unheard of. I mean, you know, when I was little, like a little girl, and there were, you know, there were job listings where men, were men or women. Like right there, there was a barrier. And the women's jobs were teacher, secretary, nurse. And the men's jobs were everything else. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine as a little girl how limiting that is. Mm. Um, So I'm just extraordinarily grateful. Maybe I would have liked it, all of this to have happened 10 years earlier. I would have had a more serious career, right? But okay, it didn't. The (laughs) other huge change that we must never forget is this enormous change in gay, in the gay rights. Mm -hmm. I mean- the idea that men or women could marry each other, I mean, right up until two, the year 2000, it seemed extraordinary, and that will never happen. And I would say, after all, in no society on earth has this ever happened. Why should it happen now? Mm. Well, guess what? It did. And mm. it's great. I couldn't be happier for my gay friends, you know? Mm. But And to also be accepted as part of the great human tribe I think this is marvelous. And whatever else has happened with sexuality, let's not forget the huge, huge gains that the gays have made. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, so, so, so to this, you know, to this point about, um, you know, over 70 years of existence and, and seeing the ways that, that sexuality changes culturally and societally and um, kind of just, just sort of shifting gears a little bit here. I'm, I'm kind of curious for someone who, who evidently, who, who very, you know, very, um, very obviously seems quite 
sexually forward and and you know uh sexually educated how has what is what does sex mean to you as some as a woman in her 70s how has how has sex changed for you over that span of time or has it well it it has to some degree i mean i, I was quite i was quite a scamp when i was younger um, <laughs> <laughs> so i'm you know i'm a little bit more discreet right now um and the urges are quite as strong, but the, the need for connection is certainly strong. And one way to connect, you know, the best way to connect is to connect physically and mentally and emotionally. Mm. And so those things are still there, those desires, you know. Um, I, I want to know how, uh, oh, fuck, I just lost my train of thought. There was something you just said about being a scamp. And then... By the way, I just want to say how much I love the word scamp. I had to, I had to, it's, <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a word that I, that I, that I don't think I've heard very often. And I, I quickly just Googled it while, right after you said it, because I was like, yeah. what is, what, I, I mean, I get it. When I hear scamp, I go, yeah, yeah, I, I know what you're saying. But then I'm, I, you know, What's I don't. the definition? I, I, I was surprised when it popped into my mouth just now, too. I never know what I was saying. But well, it's sort of like, it, it's, uh, it's like you, rogue. It's a bit like a rogue. I kind yeah yeah so so I mean a rogue actually does come up as as one of the definitions but uh, uh, it's it, it says a person especially a child who is mischievous in a likable or amusing way. Oh which, uh, great! Which, I love that. Yeah. I'll but, take that scamp banner. Sure. I love it. I love it. <laughs> okay, uh, <laughs> I found my way back to this thought, and Good it was it, it kind of half took place before we hit record. But before we were recording, we were, you were talking a little bit about falling in love, and mm. I'm wondering, mm. and 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 I do want to get back to some of the things you said there and repeat them so our listeners can hear them. Mm. But what I I want to tie it to what you just said was um, connecting physically, emotionally. Um, mentally with another person and we're talking about doing that in the context of sex do you do you think that love has to be a part of it like what about sex that is purely like do you dabble in the sex that is purely for I don't know self-expression or physical activity you just got to work something out you got to express something but maybe it's not about deeply connecting with the person that you are having sex with well in my early life and when I was single certainly not every lover was somebody I loved mm. um and obviously there's isn't a lot to be enjoyed about most physical connections. I just think most people feel that love just adds, you know, a great dimension to it. I, I don't want to be, you know, um, some kind of moralist here, but I just think in my own experience, when I've had this really powerful mental and emotional connection or would-be connection, everything is much more ecstatic mm -hmm. uh, so that's why earlier I was talking about falling in love and by the way I do think your readers should know I'm here because I wrote a book called Sybil Unbound mm. <laughs> I'm holding it up of course your your listeners are not seeing this but this is a book, and it's the only book I know, which is about the sexual adventures of an older woman. Mm -hmm. So when this book mm -hmm. begins, she's 42, and she thinks she's it's it's all over for her. She's just her her husband has left her. Um, she's got these kids. What's she gonna do? And she quickly 
she quite quickly on a business trip meets somebody who is a bit of a rogue, but he's a polyamorist and he is a kind of, he knows a lot about sex and he, and he just blows her mind. I mean, she can't believe, you know, that at her age, she's feeling so naive and, and, and is getting this incredible sex education. Mm. And the book follows this woman um, right through until, until the pandemic. And of course, it's a pandemic. She can't actually get close to anybody, but she's still with an old lover. They're starting something that something different. So I just wanted to show that in one's later years, um, one can have a very emotionally charged and physically satisfying love life. Mm. Um, I don't think most people know this. And what I was mentioning before was that never mind the sex act, but you can fall deeply in love at any age. Mm -hmm. And I had an aunt. I just didn't believe her when she said at 78, having lost a husband, she was a widow and she went to Florida. And she said she was more in love than she'd ever been. She could scarcely walk. She could scarcely breathe. She was so in love. I said, oh, come on. But now that I'll be 77 tomorrow. Yeah, I get it. You can have that overwhelming surge towards someone. And if it's accompanied by physical, you know, actions, that can be just great. And sometimes it can't be. I, I really, in all fairness to, uh, to, you know, listeners who may be over 60 and 70, things happen in life that make it difficult. You know, there are physical constraints. I happen to know three men with prostate cancer. Mm. Three in a rather, you know, and it's not like so. There's that. There are women who are not interested after menopause for whatever the reasons, hormonal, psychological. I don't know. Um, I don't want to be too much of a goody goody and say, you know, you can fuck your brains out until you're a hundred and you'll have a great time. <laughs> I don't think that's true. Mm. But I do think that we can have sexual and loving expression till the day we die. Turn Me On Podcast will be back after this short break. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Yeah, I love that you say that because 
in the last, um, I would say in the last like five years, um, I've witnessed a lot of this, a lot of what you're talking about transpire in my own, in my own personal life, um, with people close to me, you know, my, my grandfather passed away and I watched my grandmother fall in love, uh, multiple times. You know, oh, since, since his passing I love her. and it's, be- <laughs> and it's beautiful. It's like, a, you know, it's this really, it's this, and, 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 you know, if, if, if you were to have asked me, uh, prior to witnessing her go through these, these bouts of love, if I, if I thought that that would be possible, a naively, and I think a little bit, you know, my younger brain would have thought, no, I don't think so. And, and I would have said that because of the way that I viewed who my grandmother was. My, and, 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 and to give context to that, like my grandmother, she's, she's an extraordinarily quiet woman. She is, she is very, uh, very shy. You know, like if you, if you, I mean, my partner that, that I'm with right now has met my grandmother a number of times. I, I don't think, I don't know if my grandmother said more than five words to her. You know, it's like, I will, I got to intercept here and say that. Uh, on behalf of Jess, uh, your grandmother, grandma, yeah. that when we opened up our polyamory journey, like about seven years ago, and we brought, started bringing uh, partners around for like the family holidays, I think that there were, there, it's so funny because my partner Todd will say like, I think she just stands over there and looks at me and goes, who is, who is that? this guy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, but you know what? So, so, but she, she actually gets it, you know, I, yeah. like my, my nan's actually, uh, she's she's not as as quiet and sort of detached as I might have thought as a as a young man, mm-hmm. and and then witnessing her in moments like that of like of seeing her her grandchildren you know like be be scamps and and <laughs> and maybe not understand like the whole dynamics of it all, but but after witnessing her fall in love multiple times, it really shifted the way that I viewed who my grandmother was mm-hmm. and the almost the exact same thing happened to me after witnessing my mother go through a really awful divorce when I was in my thirties with, with my father, they went through a divorce and to witness her find love again after my dad. Mm-hmm. And again, it's like, I see my mother now in this completely different light where, where I, I, I got to witness my mom go through the honeymoon phase with somebody else. And it's like you, it, it, for me, it like, it almost, it, it was, it was fascinating because it, 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 it gave me this worldview of my mother in a way that I had never recognized her before because for as long as I'd known, my mother was just with my dad. My mom and my dad, I mean, they were long over their fucking honeymoon phase by the time I came into this world. Right. So it was just a really fascinating experience to see somebody who, who is, who's much older than me, who's so close to me and to witness the way that they go about their life when they find someone who they just passionately fall in love with. And it was, it's a really beautiful thing uh, to, 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 to witness. But you know, it is a little, what shall I say? A little uncomfortable with between children and parents. Oh, you've got a dog too. Oh yeah. That's why my dog is barking. (laughs) He's looking out the window for a dog because he heard a dog. Okay. (laughs) Um, but, but I have to say, yes, I could kind of understand and and sympathize with my mother, but I have sons and I don't Mm. think the content of my books makes them very comfortable. Mm -hmm. They never really mention it. Um, 
They don't, they don't mention being uncomfortable. They don't mention having read it. There were one or two books that were safe books for them. Uh, I wrote a cute book called The Adventures of Sid Sawyer. And I took the point of view of the sissy kid brother who was always annoying Tom Sawyer. But in my book, he was a genius. That was a safe kind of book for me to talk about with my sons who are you know, now grown men. But I don't think they've been very happy with Sybil Unbound. There has been no, oh, mom, I read this, I love this, or mom, <laughs> tell me about this chapter, mm. or I don't recognize, you know, nothing like that. It's like, like it didn't happen. Mm. And and that's okay. I, and, and I'd be fine if they happened to come across this podcast. I think they'd agree with me, you know, that it's a little, it's a little tricky having your mom. Um, thank God I'm not a pornographer. And I think that, you know, I write rather delicately about sex. I write a lot about emotion and head, but not so much about, you know, one organ getting into another one. Mm. Um, I just, I don't find that particularly sexy to read. I find it so, so I don't write it, but you know, some people love that stuff. I think that with older people, here's the problem. And you know, it's funny because it's sort of been overcome by fashion in some degree. But when we were only seeing young models look stylish and, you know, having the latest outfits and being perfectly accessorized, you think that being young is necessary to having style. And I don't know if you're aware in Canada, but in American publications, there's been a big movement to have models of every age. Mm -hmm. And it's tremendously engaging and wonderful that I'm seeing these really sharp women, you know, in the pages of a magazine. And I say this because with sexuality, and I, I do understand that pornography is, you know, a major influence on young men. Um, well, in pornography, I'm guessing that basically you're seeing young, nice looking bodies interacting of course that's not the way life is and when you're over 40 you know your body is not going to look like the bodies that men might see on screen so I think that's certainly an issue but part of writing this book is to say never mind about the bodies you're used to seeing you are in a body you can fall in love you can have pleasure and you can give pleasure and really, that is the message of my book, Sybil Unbound. Not that novels have, quote, messages. They don't. But it's an underlying theme. And if anybody were to read the book, I would hope they would respond to that and would say, wow, look at Sybil. She's 55, you know, and she's trying to do this and she's pursuing this guy. I hope that they'll get some kind of comfort and, and maybe try to come out of their own shells a little bit. Absolutely. I, uh, I, I'm so curious to know about with your, the, in the dynamic with, um, with your sons, like did, did, you know, you had the experience of your mother and her sensuality slash mm -hmm. sexuality and what that looked like. How, how do you think that they, they viewed, uh, if not through your, through reading your books, like how do you think they viewed, uh, sexuality for themselves modeled by their parents or by their own their own sex well it, it's sort of interesting i do think that uh that they well okay i'm not going to name them by name i'm sure <laughs> they won't listen to this but they certainly are the product of are my sons okay my oldest son uh he is a psychotherapist and his specialty is hallucinatory drugs and helping people get over their traumas and their PTSDs. He's finding it's a very effective way. So he is very much in the cultural and psychological avant-garde there. 
And I'm sure the people in his community uh, have equally liberated sex lives. My second son is going through a separation right now. His then wife wanted to, quote, open their marriage. And he wasn't Mm -hmm. too interested in doing that. Mm -hmm. But it happened. Well, guess what? Watch out what you wish for, because she was not too happy in this. But he almost instantly met someone and he was in love with her. And she was definitely part of the polyamory community. He wasn't so thrilled about this whole aspect, Mm -hmm. but he did meet someone and fall in love. And he is still with this woman. and it has made the separation, which was initiated by his wife, much, much easier for him. Mm-hmm. I mean, he has somebody else he loves. I don't know how long that'll last. Mm. But okay, so that's my second son, who is now getting into the polyamory scene and community. My third son married a rather radical, no, I should say, is with a radical woman. He has a child with her and, and she's pregnant with a second, but she didn't want to quote, get married because of the patriarchy. And so they had something they called a budding, not a wedding, a big celebration, because they always call each other bud. Come here, buddy. Come here, bud. <laughs> so they had a budding. And in their own lives, they each have another partner with okay. who they see from time to now. I don't know about her. I do know about him more, of course. And so he's had a long running other relationship. I think that she has had or has one too, but I don't know for sure. But I'm just saying I have three kids. Look at them all the way I've described them, Mm. you know, beyond being incredibly intelligent, kind and great cooks, great cooks. My sons (laughs) are great cooks, Um, but they are also alternative people, kind of, you know, they're not living the straight life in any way. They're living very fulfilling, successful lives in terms of their careers, but their private lives are less conventional. Mm. This little this little thing is pinging in my brain that I heard a couple of days ago, and it was on uh, an astrology podcast, actually. But she was referencing the spiritual teachings that have been passed through many different lineages um, about the the concept of like, if you are unconscious to the power that you hold, you do damage. And it seems to me that sensuality, sexuality, um, and the embodiment that you possess with regards to this subject and this natural sort of comfort is actually quite, quite a power. And I'm wondering if you didn't have the outlet of writing about it and, and and you know what, even the creative outlet of raising children Mm. and birthing and raising children, um, to be these sort of avant-garde folks, like, do you think you needed to have additional, uh, creative, um, express other than just having a great sex life? Like, do you need to write about it to, to fulfill, to use up some of that power, to put some of that power to good use? Well, I don't know about power. Um, <laughs> I find it endlessly engrossing. So I think a writer, you know, the material will choose the writer rather than the other way around. It's not like I've ever made a conscious decision like, okay, there's where I'm going to concentrate. But in fact, my very first novel was about a happily married woman who sees an old friend from high school, which is the name of that book, and falls in love with her and doesn't know where this is coming from. She's never had a desire for a woman. And yet the emotional bonds of their high school life or whatever leads her to having this affair. Hmm. So, and I, I guess I'm drawn by 
this notion, first of all, I think in sexuality, you can write about things that haven't been written about before. So I felt this, you know, I, I don't want it. I would never be a genre novelist. I couldn't care less about repeating a formula of, you know, romance or whatever that is, you know, these various categories. I want to make something new and I want to illuminate things. And love is something I want to illuminate. And much love, certainly in the beginning, has a really strong physical component, which has, you know, certainly enriched and enlivened my life. Mm. What, like, why do you think, um, I, because I take it that you, that you, you feel as though, you know, the, the romantic needs of older women aren't, aren't typically things that are kind of focused on in, in fictional writing. Why, why do you think that is? Well, there are two things. First of all, as a novelist, you want your book to have a consequence. So if you're writing about 25 year olds, what they do is going to have enormous consequence for the next many decades, right? right, right. If you're writing about, let's just say, 80-year-olds falling in love, it could be absolutely marvelous, but it doesn't have that much consequence. It's not going to shape their entire future the way when you fall in love at 25 it can. Mm. So there's that. And then there's this other thing, and I have to mention it, even though I don't like to. I really think there's an <laughs> ickiness factor. Yeah. We just don't like to think about it. We like to think that they're wiser. We look at those old misshapen bodies, most of them saggy or fat, and it just feels distasteful. Mm. Of course, when the lights are out, your sagging fat body can surge and thrill someone else and thrill itself. But there is, we still are living in this world where only the young and beautiful deserve love and sex. Mm. And that is a kind of mindset that probably, I say probably about pornography, because honestly, I can't watch it. I mean, it's just so distasteful for me, but probably pornography encourages. I think that there are good looking women doing it, right? Mm -hmm. And probably handsome men. So those of us, the male half of us, who have been much influenced by pornography probably have that in their minds. Mm. And as for women, they are you know, unfortunately, that this is really one of those tragic things about women, but they're so worried about their own appearance at every age that I'm a little too fat here and he's going to notice if he sees me from the back or I don't have the right hair, it's just a little too frizzy. It's a little too... There is so much going on in a woman about fear about what she looks like and will, will she give pleasure and will be, people be attracted to her? Mm -hmm. And of course, when you get older, you know, you're not as attractive. Let's face it. Mostly, mm. you're not. Uh, of course, you might be to someone of your mo of your age group. For instance, <laughs> honestly, you have to excuse me here, but I can't look at anyone under forty. I just can't. I mean, I can think, oh, they're such such sweet kids. But <laughs> you know, a man has to be probably about fifty for me to even notice that he's yeah. a male who is an attractive human being. Yeah. But I do think, as I say, that. There's a whole lot of reasons why we don't read older women's sex mm. stories or love stories. And, you know, I do like to write against the grain and that's where I live um, against the grain. So I, I, I think there's there, there's you, you know, I, all that makes sense to me. And I think I think you're absolutely right in that those are likely um, some of the some of the reasons behind it. Another one that kind of comes to mind. And, and I don't know. I don't know if this is if this is true or not, but. If I was to like maybe theorize 
another reason why we might not see or gravitate towards those types of stories is not necessarily because it, you know, the, 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 the visual or the thought of old bodies engaging in intimacy is gross. Um, but I think more so because it's like, okay, I'm, I hear you saying this about your, your experience as an older woman and being able to feel passion, being able to feel intimacy, being able to feel sensuality with your body and your skin and your tongue. And it's like, okay, I, I get that, you know, I'm looking at you and I'm going, well, I fucking hope when I'm your age that I can say the same thing. And I don't know why I wouldn't, you know, like, I feel like I, I too am going to be in a body that's 70 some years old and will have desires to feel connection, to feel closeness, to feel. So, so the thing that if I can conceptualize that and I can understand like, yeah, of course you're a human just like I am. And so of course you would need those needs. Then the part it's it, there, I don't, cause I don't have that icky feeling, but what yeah. I, what I do have, or, or maybe, maybe what I, what I potentially, what, what's going on for me is there is a bit of a fear of getting old. Yeah. Right. And so like, like, I don't know, do you think that perhaps that there's some folks out there, like one of the reasons why this isn't, that's, this is something that's ignored in stories and in novels is because of this innate fear that we have of aging or, you know, it's like, I don't know when I, when I think about a old age, it's, you know, immediately one of the first things that come to mind is like death, you know, it's like, you know, like, yes. like you mentioned, it's like yes. you, the stakes aren't high. It's, you, you don't have much time. I'm it's sorry. Not- it's true. I would mm-hmm. like to console you young man, mm-hmm. but I cannot. My friends are starting to die. Yeah. My friends are sick. I just told, I, you know, I have three good male friends and they have prostate cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, in one case, saddest case, he's lost all his sex drive. Like, it's not just that mm-hmm. he doesn't have a functioning mm-hmm. penis, but he really is just not interested. Just not. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the other two are a little different. But in any event, there is that. So, yeah, you're right to be frightened of, of getting old. Um, but, of course, sex could be a great consolation, too. <laughs> That's uh, right. You know, yeah. When your lights are out and you're with someone you love and you've, you've found a way to please each other. And it may not be, you know, the kind of straight vanilla sex or even the, you know, the butterscotch sex you used to have. It might be something different. It might be they need a little something else to get off. And that's mm. fine. Mm-hmm. You know, we're all different. And age changes one, I, I do think. But here's this great thought experiment. that When my book came out, I was doing a lot of, I would see an old person on the street and I would just try to imagine them in love or having sex. Yeah. And the older and the more, mis- I mean, in the walkers, with the canes, whatever. I would make myself say, this person also exists as a sexual person. Mm-hmm. I do it all the time. I do it all the time. I, I li- oh, like. I don't I, believe you. I, I do. I swear to God, I have that <laughs> thought. Why would you do that? Because, well, because I mean, to be honest, to be honest with you, I have, and um, and I know that this is going to fucking rub people the wrong way, but when my when I saw my nan fall in love again, I I sat and I imagined, okay, what does their intimacy look like? Like what it, what is that? And not because not because I want to think about my grandmother fucking some other guy. It's because I want to be able to accept the fact that she's going to be able to to feel pleasure. And what is what does that look like? And when if if I if if I ever have the privilege of being that old, well, what's it going to look like for me? You know, how old is she? 
Uh, that's a good question. My nan's probably in her, she's, she's probably in her, um, uh, mid eighties, I would say. Yeah, you sure. don't know for sure? Did I don't know for sure. I don't know for sure. I, you know, I, I honestly, to be, to be frank, I don't know anybody's age. <laughs> I don't know my mom's. I don't know my. Really? No, oh my goodness. I'm, I'm so bad okay. with dates. You know um, your own age? <laughs> sometimes I, I literally forget, but I, yes, I'm, I'm 35. I'm pretty sure. You're good. I'm 35, okay. right? Born in 88. Yeah, yeah. 88. So 35. Yeah. 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 yeah I know my age. Yeah. <laughs> that is 35, right? I don't know. I have yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm 35. I'm 30. We're, we're going to stick with that. I'm 35. 88, 35. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's it. You're going to turn uh, 36 in January. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Um, but yeah, so, so, so yeah, like I, I, I love that thought experiment. I, and I think that's, that's an important thing for people to do because I do think that there is this innate disgust that a lot of people have with the thought of old people and intimacy. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, why the fuck? Like, why? Like, what do you. I, and I yet, mean, you know, in nursing homes, you know, they have to allow people to be in other people in not their own beds. I mean, there was, you know, first they say, oh, no, this can't be. And they say, hey, wait a minute. Why not? Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to get pregnant. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they're probably not going to pass diseases around. Mm-hmm. So, you know, let them have some joy, whatever it is, whether it's just sleeping in the same bed or actually having sex. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I do want to touch on your perspective of different types of relationship structures, because um, uh, I think there was something in our notes about um, maybe polyamory specifically. And I know in your book, your character meets a a polyamorous man. Um, But in terms of making an intentional choice about your relationship structure or how this is going to work, like, I think also in an email you mentioned that you you wanted to talk about why the occasional affair is not a threat to monogamy or something in the in those right. like so, words. Okay. Yeah, I, just, I think that my heroine Sybil. Yeah, and by the way, I always want people to think of Sybil Shepherd because Sybil Shepherd is such a beautiful older woman, beautiful. and she was such a rogue when she was young. If you read, she has she has a a book called Sybil Disobedience. Nice, and you know. She far she goes much further than my heroine does, but um, I remember watching that TV show, Sybil, um, about just uh-huh. about relationship structures and like, oh, things, yeah, okay. you know, non monogamy. Right. I would say that Sybil practices non monogamy, um, but she is not. And here's the thing: I feel like she is a minority within a minority. If she were a straight polyamorous, things would be a lot easier because everybody would be open and everything would be on the table. She's not. She's much more old-fashioned. And I really think that for all the attention polyamory has gotten, that when most people stray in the marriage, it is not in a polyamorous thing where they go and report to their mate. Hey, I'm falling in love. I'm going to see him on Tuesday afternoon. Bye. <laughs> I don't think it's that way. I think most people are quite discreet and kind of just manage to have an affair. and. When they're having an affair, they are um, elated, alive, you know, and they can bring some of that to whatever they do, including the, their marriage relationship. And as we all know, sex is such a weird thing. You start having sex with someone else, you may still want it even more with your partner. You may just be sort of, you know, um, sexualized in general. Mm. by having someone new in your life. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't necessarily kill the marriage. So this I, is the kind of relationships that Sybil has. 
that they are, she has a longtime partner. In her case, she's not married, but she's living with a man called Quinn. Um, and she hides it from Quinn. That's all she just does. Um, that's what has worked for her. I th- I just I just think that there's something too about like o- the older women's sexuality to getting old to death to patriarchy. Right? There's like big concepts at play in our sexual relationships. I guess mm. is is all I'm saying. And when we're talking to you, Catherine, it feels like honey. It just feels like it's flowing mm-hmm. and natural and grew with you as a person. Mm-hmm. And the the perspective of someone who has lived over seven decades and have seen the uh, transitions that we've been through, the perspective is just something that I so look forward to look like getting to someday. Well, don't be in any hurry. I'm, Enjoy I, your relative youth while you have it. <laughs> when you fall in love, you're not thinking I'm falling in love and my God, I'm 75. How can this happen? Mm-hmm. You are just like, you're in and it. then I'll see him. Mm-hmm. And then he's going to look into my eyes the way he does. And, you know, you're like a schoolgirl again. I mean, when you're in love, you're just one age and that age is desire. Um mm-hmm. So, you know, it doesn't feel any different, you know, maybe your body's a little different. Maybe you're going to, you know, maybe not have an orgasm as easily or whatever. But um, the emotions, the intensity, the the total joy Mm. when there's someone who, you know, lights your fire. uh, I think it's the same at any age. I, uh, I, this, this conversation has really just gotten me. just I, I don't know I, th- I guess like really really excited about the prospect of of growing old you know and well, like that's and, good and because it's gonna happen if you're right. lucky you will get old right? that's right yeah so I'm glad that I've given you sort of uh, some kind of joy in that prospect mm-hmm. yeah and it, I mean and, and I think it, it also it's also just gone towards um just validating the ways that I've been thinking about age and love and intimacy um and and I hope that it's shifted the perspective of at least at least one person out there, which I'm sure, I'm sure it has. Um, uh, Catherine, your, your, your take is very, it's very refreshing. It's very beautiful. It's very hopeful. And I'm very glad that you, you were willing to take time out of your schedule to chat with us. Um, again, folks, uh, the book, uh, Sybil Unbound, uh, it's available now. Um, can you let our, let our listeners know, how can they find you? How can they find, you know, stay up to date with the work that you're okay. doing? I'm certainly very happy to let you know that Sybil Unbound is found in the usual place where everyone does everything. And there it is on Amazon. So you could get it at, I don't know, $12.95 or maybe $9.95. It's a paperback. Um, I also, what I've been doing since this book came out, it's been quite an extraordinary adventure for me, is I have a Substack. Mm. which is a newsletter for those of you who don't know. It's a, it's a newsletter that ends up in your mailbox. Um, and in my case, I write it once a week. And my newsletter is called The Pleasure Principle. So if you go to Substack and you go to The Pleasure Principle, you can subscribe for free. And what will you get with your free subscription? Once a week, Tuesdays at 11.11, in will pop 
something, a personal essay by me about some aspect of pleasure. And it may not have been an aspect of pleasure you've ever thought was pleasurable. Mm. Like I had one about sneezing. Um, <laughs> you know, who mm -hmm. thought that was a pleasure? Yeah. Well, let's get into it. How, why, and so on. Um, I also had one, which was much more directly on target. It was called the big O. What makes it so big? I mean, consider how short a duration it has. Mm. And people will change their whole life to have a little more intensity for five or 10 seconds. I mean, this is crazy. And yet many people will change their lives for something so fleeting. So I couldn't help riffing about that. Um, my latest, which I published yesterday, was on anticipation, about having the joy of waiting for something to happen. And of course, it's most relevant in, in a love affair. Or when you can't see your desired partner, you just keep building it up and building it up. And only four days from now, only three days from now, only two days and eight hours from now, you know. And you are enjoying that other person even when you're not seeing them because they're so much part of your psyche. So, yeah. Mm, anticipation. I love it. So anyway, I would say that if anybody's enjoying the voice they are hearing in their ears right now, my voice, Catherine Hiller's voice, you will get a lot more of it in the pleasure principle. And no cost. They're all free. Some, of, some people have paid subscribers, but I don't. So, you know, just click the little box and you'll get something provocative and original once a week. Amazing. Thank you Catherine, so much. Catherine, thank you so much. This has been a real treat. For me too. Thanks for having me here. All right, there we have it, folks. Hope you enjoyed that conversation that we just had. And uh, thanks for listening to the podcast. If you want to support the podcast further, you can do that by leaving a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, or you can simply rate the podcast on the Spotify mobile app. And uh, if you want to uh, support the podcast even further than that, which you can. Wow. You can You're go to so kind and thoughtful and so generous. Thoughtful, so generous. Go to patreon.com slash turn me on. Uh, to become a patron and help us uh, keep this podcast afloat. Well, if you want to reach out to us, turnmeonpodcast at gmail.com is always open for all of your messages. That's the best way to get in touch if you have a question for us, if you'd like to be a guest on the show, if you have a recommendation for a guest on the show, or if you just want to send us a little love note, uh, email money transfer, uh, all of that. Sex toy. <laughs> you know, we're, we're our email inbox is open to you. That is it for this week. Until next week. Why don't you go touch yourself? Hold up. What was that? 
boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 